This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamina Jamal. I hope you're well, but I also really understand if you're not because uh, everything is so fucked right now around the world and one of the latest places in which we have seen the attack on reproductive rights is the United States of America in a place where we thought that it was not possible for Roe v. Wade to be overturned, where we we never thought reproductive rights would be gone after as hard as they are now. It's it's unfathomable. It's almost so shocking that maybe that's how they're getting away with with this because we can't really believe it's real. And I wanted to be able to find you a guest this week who could talk about it with me. But of course, considering what an emergency this is, it is very hard to get hold of uh, advocates for reproductive rights right now. They're all busy fighting for all of our futures. And so instead, I decided to go back into previous episodes and and bring back the episode with Elizabeth Banks because she's an exceptional advocate for reproductive rights and most importantly is very knowledgeable specifically about the American system and what we need to do to be able to stop this in its tracks and overturn it. And so I think it's a very honest and open and unjudgmental and empowering episode about reproductive rights and abortion and women's healthcare and the healthcare of all people who have uteruses. And I think that it's also what we need right now is to just be given the information of how to move forward. And so she has organizations that she advocates for and works with, and she has details of how the system works. And so hopefully the feeling of knowing that you have some sort of access to action might be an empowering moment for you. And also, if you are someone who has ever had an abortion or who has ever considered having an abortion, this episode will hopefully make you feel less alone, as I have been very open my whole career about having had one and how much it saved my life. And it was the best decision I've ever made. And obviously, not everyone feels that way. Everyone's not as quite celebratory as I probably sound. But it did literally change the course of my life and save my life and allow me the freedom to have all of the the recovery I've been able to have in my own life since making that decision. I'm not just talking about like dumb shit, like fame or success or money, any, any of that stuff. I'm talking about the, the life I live now, how much I have recovered with my mental health, how much my physical health has recovered, how much happier I am as a person, all of which I've been able to do by being able to have autonomy over my own lifeline and be able to 
be selfish and protect my own sanity and not have to give up everything for another person. That just isn't something that I wanted. It's something I still don't want. It's something I wasn't ready for. And that should never, ever be forced on any human being. We currently live in a world in which you have to give written legal consent for your organs to be used to save the life of another, even after you're dead. So dead people will have more rights than people who are alive who happen to have uteruses. It is so fucked and terrifying and I hope this episode was something to lift some of that weight and to make you feel like change is possible. Elizabeth Banks believes change is possible and that is the that is what we need right now is that attitude because we still have time to turn this around. We just need to jump into action and start electing people who are in the corner of the freedom and humanity of all people who have uteruses. I send you loads of love and I hope you enjoy this wonderful episode with Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks, welcome to I Way. How are you? I'm very well and so happy to be talking to you. I love this podcast. You have such fun guests. I can't believe I'm one of them now. Oh my God, you're so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it's a huge honor to have you here. I'm a massive fan and I have uh, in in recent years slash, yeah, I'd say years, grown to love you as a human face to face. Thanks. Thanks, lady. Um, I know we met in like, what, 20... 20- Six fifteen. We met in Something? an audition. That yeah. was like how we met. I was auditioning in front of you, and I was shitting myself because yes. I think you're one of the truly great comedic actresses of all time. And uh, I had to stand there and be funny in front of you, and I was mortified. You but you were so, so nice funny. to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you're uh, you were a very comforting and decisive leader in that situation and so I hope I uh I hope one day we get to work together where I can be led by you full time um but yeah you are a you're a you're a fave of mine a long time fave I think the first time I came across you was probably 40 year old virgin in uh opposite Steve Carell and I was like who the fuck is that yeah. Because it was a new type of movie, a new genre of film, and they were films that didn't give a lot of funny roles or moments to women. And I feel like you just came in just like, this is it. I'm going to make an impression. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard not to when you get to masturbate in a bathtub on film. So <laughs> you tend to stay in people's minds after that happens. Yeah, well I didn't I didn't forget you and I've really enjoyed following your career ever since. There's so much that you do not only as an actor but also as a director and an advocate. There's a million things I want to talk to you about. Uh first of all, how are you? You know, I um I'm great. I'm really busy right now. So that's exciting. I feel like there was um, I wouldn't say fallow time, but there was definitely a lot of family time, a lot of focus on the family this during the pandemic and everything seems to be opening up. And I suddenly feel actually slightly overwhelmed at how much I'm about to embark on, which is great. I'm prepping a movie that I'm going to direct. I'm prepping a movie that I'm going to act in and, um, you know, being mom, being a mom. 
and and my son turned 10 yesterday. So oh, that's the sweet. other thing that's going on. Yeah, we did a big birth. We did not a big. We did a a birthday Zoom celebration and just, you know, making him feel special because that's what you have to do when you get double digits. Um, you and I, when I, uh, I called you for the little kind of like pre-interview chat and we were talking, I was explaining to you about, you know, and you listen to this podcast anyway, thank you very much for doing that. Uh, and it's about mental health. And when asking you about your mental health, you were telling me, uh, that you've been very lucky in the fact that yeah. you've had a kind of stable upbringing, stable existence, like you have a, a fairly stable brain chemistry and and you spoke about that with immense gratitude and almost reticence because it's so rare, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you did mention that you do, however, struggle with instability around your hormones, around your yeah. periods. And I thought that was really interesting and something that I wanted to talk about because that is a different type of struggle that we just don't hear enough about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I feel what I was really getting at was that I feel really grateful in that I can, I, I have a, I think I'm pretty in touch with my body and I'm pretty in touch with what's going on with me. And for sure, I have had periods of time in my life, but I can tell you they're almost always, it was like, you know, adolescence, puberty, when your hormones are going crazy, when everything was awful and mm. I hated everyone. And, you know, I, I, I definitely, I had really dark, dark moments. Um, when you think you can only see right what's right in front of you and you cannot yeah. see the next day, you cannot see the sun coming up. So I just want to say that, you know, I have a deep sense of empathy for mental health issues because I have recognized them in myself. My mental health is in really good condition, yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not because, uh, you know, for no reason whatsoever. I'm certainly very aware of like having to care for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of that came, comes from PMS and PMS being like a real thing mm. that's, you know, pre-menstrual syndrome. It's a, it's an interesting subject where for a while the concept of PMS was used, it was kind of weaponized against yes. us and it would be used to kind of gaslight us around certain situations or, or, you know, it would be used to diagnose our rage as something other than our right to be upset in a certain yes. situation. And I have participated in that humor before, a lot of people have, but then I feel as though that became so rightfully stigmatized that then we stopped kind of having the conversation around PMS because we were like, then if we talk about it, then they'll right. know that it's real and they'll start using it against us again. And so then I don't feel as though I ever have the conversation really about PMS beyond just kind of cramps and anything right. that feels more physical. We don't talk about the psychological aspect because we're so f afraid of it being weaponized against us, but we fucking need to. And, and I feel as though almost maybe as my friends are getting older, we're recognizing like more and more severe symptoms yes around our periods right. and so I uh I would love to know what your experience is what do you become like <laughs> what's your vibe well okay so mine's really specific and okay. just so ever you know uh, uh, full disclosure I've had a very regular period mm -hmm. like 24 to 26 days since I was I got my period when I was 11 just before my 12th birthday so three months before my 12th birthday so I this is you know this is a long time that mm -hmm. I've been dealing with this, um, monthly extravaganza in my life. And so, you know, I really luckily 
once you get through puberty, when the hormones are all over the place and it's not particularly regular in my twenties, I was like, Oh, okay. Three days before my period, I have massive insomnia, for instance. And for a long time, I would lay in bed and just be like, Oh my God, why can't I sleep? And I would, you know, you do your self check-in like, do I have anxiety? Like, what am I worried about? Cause you know, your brain's running constantly when you're most people, when they have insomnia. And I would just say, they're like, I just literally, my body is not interested in sleeping. And then, and through tracking it, um, which now you can do on apps, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. Mine not- tells me like five yeah. days before my period, I'm about to become a massive bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it exactly. gives me a heads up so I can send the alert out. <laughs> exactly. So I had to just sort of like, literally I had a day planner and I would write like day one in my you know day planner every time I got my period. And then I could count days and be like, okay, I'm coming up on this period when frankly, I'm getting a flush of hormones and it's changing my body chemistry. I just know that it is. And it's, and it's not only that, it's switching something in my brain that makes me for sure way more emotional. Um, for sure. How, how emotional? Like, like, like a song makes me cry. Do you know right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the like Hallmark commercial that you're like, I mean, I can't believe <laughs> that then she he gave her a Mother's Day card, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but and where it really affects me is I'm like a lit fuse. So I, I'm I have I'm just so sharp. I I can't. Um, I my problem solving ability goes to like zero, and I'm just like I need the problem solved this second. Yeah. I don't understand why things aren't working out today. And it's not a long period of time. I'm talking like three to five days in my life. You get the rage? Do you get rage? But monthly, it's not so much rage. It's a short fuse. It's right. like, it's, it's, it's a lack of um, coping with when things are not going well. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and like everything just feels um, either more anxiety or things that normally wash over me or is don't seem like a big deal to me suddenly seem like the biggest deal in the world to me. Um, and it may, and I'm, by the way, I'm not as nice to my kids and I'm not as nice to my husband. Like I see the behavior and what is, what to me having, um, healthy mental health is really about understanding those moments and knowing that this is, a chemistry, this something's gone sideways and, you know, and it's real. I'm not, this is, it's physically happening to your body and to your mental state, but you, you know, you know what it is. And now you're going to use better coping mechanisms. You are going to not scream at someone. You're going to recognize like, okay, this is me. This is not that they're not doing anything outside their ordinary behavior, particularly. I'm having a crazier reaction to it. I hate using the word crazy, by the way, but it's the easiest, I think, a simple way to say how you feel. We're you know, all collectively, yeah, we're all collectively, you know, easing it out of our vocabularies. But yeah, um, yeah I, I don't get too many emotional ups and downs necessarily. I definitely become impatient the day before, but mostly I become extraordinarily needy. Mm. I become very, very needy. I'm hugely independent and quite cold. 
and not very touchy-feely for a lot of the time because I'm just, just kind of getting on with shit, getting, getting, getting on with my life. And then suddenly about a week before my period, I'm just like a fucking octopus. I have my, my arms and legs become tentacles that will just like, <laughs> hang, like cling to the nearest human to me. And I live with all of these friends of mine and they just have learned to tolerate that, like that when I suddenly become extremely sweet, extremely generous, uh, with my, um, with my love, they know mm-hmm. that it's because I'm having a chemical imbalance in my brain yeah, and that I'm manipulating them into giving me the, the cuddles that I need <laughs> that last all day. So I just become this like, it's like something out of a horror movie. Um, but, uh, that, but that's it. I become so far quite needy and, and, uh, hugely impatient the day before. But I'm also wondering after having spoken to you, I have these random patches of insomnia every single month. And I just sit there feeling like a failure, feeling like I'm going to fuck up the next day. And then the next day I have loads of energy. I don't feel as though I haven't slept overnight. And I, I think it is wild that it's still such a mystery to us that we're not we're not encouraged at school to start tracking our periods start tracking our symptoms i wasn't told anything about them i wasn't told anything about sanitary towels or tampons i still don't think that we are i was taught about the 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 doodles of the reproductive system and how babies are made but i wasn't given any advice and i can't believe that i'm getting to my mid-30s before i'm finally realizing you know what i should write this shit down yeah. We had Ashling B on this podcast who is hilarious and uh just a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about she was talking about the fact that um that she doesn't think that it's possible that men invented the calendar. She was like why would men need to know when the next month is coming around. She was like of course it was a fucking woman. Of course she probably wrote the calendar in period blood with her finger to be able to figure out when this hell was coming back around. I think it, what you're bringing up is really important, which is that women throughout history yeah. have been tracking um, for uh, family planning purposes mm-hmm. and and mental health. I'm sure you know. You know, the other thing that happens to me, frankly, the positive thing is I get really horny right before my period, mm-hmm. and I also i I also have the cravings. So I have the the I like I make cookie dough pretty much by like if I am if I'm in my house and I'm like gosh you know what I need to do I need to make cookie dough then I it's literally five days later my period's coming <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Like, I don't bake any other time of the month I bake exactly five days before my period's coming it's because I need cookie dough so badly okay and then and then I'm super horny and I eat voraciously and I get bloated and then right afterwards I I'm not hungry at all I truly lose my appetite for a couple days. I don't really eat. And I, same thing, when I have the insomnia. Not feeling as horny afterwards? Not really. It's funny that, isn't it? I always always wonder if that's quite confusing for my partner because I'm quite, I'm quite similar. And so I go from being this sort of like cookie, cookie monster, sex monster, cuddle monster, uh, every kind of monster (laughs) to just, uh, just being quite aloof and uninterested in food, uninterested in anything, uninterested in a cuddle, just like, and and then it kind of slowly comes back again over the course of the month, but it's like dropping off a cliff every single month and I can't help it. I'm just, I like what I like when I like it. Yeah. I think it's important for women though, to hear that, um, that there it is a, it is a cycle you know that there is a there's a chemistry and a hormone situation like going on 
that you can't really control. I mean, people who have or who are on the pill control it slightly. But I mean, I still, I was on the pill for 10 years and I still had most of the hormonal things I'm talking about still happen to me as your body prepares to have a baby or not. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that, that let's also hear that out loud. Your body every month prepares to have a baby. Yeah. And then when it doesn't, let's go of that idea. And so there's this physical thing happening inside of every woman's from puberty until menopause, that if you aren't aware of or are not thinking about, you're having episodes, you know, you're having some sort of episodes potentially in your life that you, you don't understand are just really just part of being a woman. Um, And I loved what you said about it being weaponized because I mean, I've had, you know, how many times have we heard, you know, women can't be a CEO or be mm-hmm. president because my God, they might get emotional for a day. Of their- All right, if, Brett like, Kavanaugh, like, yeah. <laughs> what was his fucking excuse? <laughs> By the way, as if, you know, what I'm saying is like, I get it. I'm in control. Like, I understand what's happening to me. I make the adjustments in my life yeah. and I keep going, this has never kept me from a job. It's never kept me from staying in my happy marriage. It's not kept me from a single thing in my life. And, you know, maybe it makes a a moment with someone more tense than I would like it to be, but then take, you take responsibility for that, apologize and move through it. And you have 27 more balanced days. Yes, exactly. And the idea that like, somehow I'm not cap as I'm not as capable on those days is ridiculous because that's not true. And, it, and if anything, I think women prove month after month that anything you can do, we can do bleeding, which is my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a, a kind of, um, I'm reconfiguring my relationship with the term, are you on your period where I now think of it as just a, it doesn't feel like an insult anymore to me as in I, I'm aware that people try to use it as an insult, but now I look at it as like, oh, are you going through this extremely traumatic thing and you're holding your shit together by getting out of bed today? Well done. Yes, but that's right. But I do recognize it as something that can change your mood. And I think that we should make space for that so that the world can make space for this massive change that we're going through. I think it was Riz Ahmed. There was a, an actor who once told me about the nut mist. He was he was talking to me about the fact that I can't believe we talk about women being so, homo- so hormonal when they only go through this big shift maybe once a month. He was like, if, if men do not, <laughs> you know, release. <laughs> Work it out. Bust that nut, then they become like, to quote this person, gorillas in the mist. And so that's why he calls it the nut mist. And he's like, this is a three day cycle where we could kill someone. Like we are out of our mind. Like we have lost all rationale. That's it. We can't, we, we are having so many sexual thoughts, so many aggressive thoughts that we're totally out of control. Fucking every three or four days. So why are we acting like women are the only ones who have something that they just need to manage? So I I, I don't know. It's like a thing that I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to normalize in my own head. Are you on your period as something that doesn't feel like a massive rude insult or a gaslighting statement? Just, uh, you got a thing that you need a little bit of support with right now? Yes, that's exactly it. Like, uh, I think that's exactly the way to think about it. That it's not, you know, it's not some, oh, She's got a, wow, this lady. You're like, 
Oh, okay. It's an understanding. You know, I was telling this story recently. Um, I was in a fitting and the costume designer and the, and the costumer. So the woman who like helps with all the clothes and put them, they were in their fifties. And, and then I was in the room and then a young actress was in the room. And so, and the, and at a certain point, the costumer kind of got a little wild eyed and looked at me and looked at the costume designer and said, like, is it a little hot in here? Do you think we can open a window? And the energy that went between her and me and the 50 year old costume designer was like, oh, she's, she's having a hot flash. She's yeah. going, she's having a hormone thing right now. She needs some help, <laughs> like a little relief. Yeah. She was kind of wide eyed looking at us and we we're like, absolutely. Let's open the window, you know? And a minute later, the um, very sweet actress who's in her twenties and has no idea what energy just transpired between the older women in the room was like, I don't know. I'm a little cold. Do you think we could close the window? <laughs> and the panic that flashed on the costumer's face, like, <gasps> like, no, please. I need the one. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, so it's important to remember too, like this doesn't end, you know, there's not like it, it, it carries through for women for a long time long in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the care that needs to be taken in those moments of empathy of like, you know, no one's saying out loud, like, oh, she's having a hot flush and going through menopause and needs the window open. It's just like an, uh, when we all know what's going on, we can help each other through it. Yeah, we can also help ourselves. Ashling was fascinating in that she was talking about this book called Period Power, which I mentioned to you when we were on the yeah. phone by Maisie Hill. And I'm going to try and get Maisie on this podcast to come and explain it further to all of us. But she's written a book that explains exactly what's happening to our brains and to our to our bodies and how to utilize that for strength, not just like, oh, I'm so delicate now and I just need help. There are some there are some moments during our cycle where we become superhumans, where our brains function so well and our and it's, and it's often the same cyclical pattern. And so if we could just learn when that time is via this journaling that you seem to be doing already, like from when you were younger, uh, this is before we even knew about this practice, then we would be able to utilize that for our strength of like, this is my week to just stay home and, and chill and like, or be more creative. This is my work to go and get shit done and move house or do all of these difficult things or help family members, et cetera. Yeah. If we start to like play to our strengths and no longer look at them as weaknesses, but just alterations, I think it could completely transform our lives. When is a good time to do a job interview? When is a good time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when's yeah. a good time to go on a date? Well, when you, like what you were saying about the insomnia and how the next morning, like I, same, I, I have these nights of insomnia and I wake, I don't need the sleep. My body is telling me like, you're fine. You're going to, you're going to be great on three hours tomorrow. And you don't believe it until you've done it enough times. So you're like, oh yeah, I don't even feel tired. In fact, I now use those nights to get work done to like, or like watch a movie I've been waiting to watch. You know, I get the house to myself at three o'clock in the morning. Like mm -hmm. I don't lay in bed anxiety ridden that I'm going to be exhausted the next morning anymore. Cause I actually know I won't be, my body is not letting me down. It's just doesn't need sleep tonight for whatever reason. I don't know. I feel super energized the next day. This is, this is really helpful. You having told me that on the phone has just made me, it totally fucked my brain. Because I was like, oh my God, this has been happening to me and I've just been torturing myself every month for like 20-something years. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. have a huge interest in reproductive rights. You have been one of the more vocal advocates uh, in mainstream media who has been talking about women's rights to reproduction. Uh, I'm someone who talks a lot about our freedom to all reproductive care. And uh, I'm someone who's had an abortion, very open about it, very uh, chill about the whole thing, don't have any regrets, wasn't in an emergency, uh, it wasn't a victim of an assault at that time, just did it because I needed to do it, because it was my right to do it, because it was better for my life Yeah, in that time. And that is, that is fine, that is healthcare. And that is something that you feel too. Would you talk to me a little bit about it as someone who's so open about it? Also, do you mind me asking, have you ever participated in an abortion? Had one? <laughs> so participated you know, in means have you ever given one? <laughs> have you ever had an abortion? <laughs> so I have um so first of all, I, I've never had an abortion. Right. Um I but I have absolutely benefited in my life from the knowledge that if I needed to have an abortion, I could have one. Meaning knowing that I had access and a right to it. And, um, uh, gave me a real sense of freedom in my life. You know, it allowed me to frankly have wonderful 
loving, intimate relationships in my life. I also always was with a boyfriend who I knew had the same values as me about it and also didn't want to become a parent before they were ready. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's also that time I remember, um, in my, I've been married to my college boyfriend now for, I don't know, 17 years or something, 18 years. So I, you know, I've been in this very long relationship with him and we started dating when I was 18. And I remember around like 25, 26, like having a dinner with him, we were out to dinner and I was like, Hey, so just so you know, I feel like if I, if like we accidentally got pregnant, I'd probably at this point, I think I'd have the baby. And he was like, Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we kind of, because you got to check in on that stuff. Like if he was like, no, 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 I'd still want you to get an abortion you got to make sure you're on the same page about those things, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had been in a relationship where it was like, if we, if we got accidentally pregnant, I was probably gonna have an abortion. And then there's a certain moment you're like, no, actually I'm ready. I would be a parent with you. If I, if it happened with you in this committed, loving, you know, relationship where we're already talking about our future together, I was ready to parent with in that time in my life. And it was really, I think it's, you know, it's just a really important check-in that I still remember being the moment where I was like, oh, okay, I've now changed my stance. I'm ready to, you know, if something were to happen, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in. You know? yeah. And before that, so grateful to have had a mom who I would have told about it at the very least, you know, my sisters, like yeah. I have people that would drive me and help me and, you know, add resources. Um, the Planned Parenthood you could walk to from my high school in my town where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, just knowing that that was there and was a resource for me. That is not the case for a lot, millions of women in America and the millions and millions more around the world. And I got pelted um, with rosary beads when I went for mine. Um, just threw yeah. rosary be beads at me. Uh, yeah. that, was a, that was very, very intense. Um, That's fine. Didn't, didn't tell me. Yeah. I think also there's a, you know, I, I think also when there's so many women who go through infertility and, you know, you, it takes a lot of the, um, what's the word? I don't know, like the holiness or something that people want to put on pregnancy. Yeah. It's the holiness out of it. You're like, Oh, it's like a sperm meets an egg. And then it divides cells and they implant in the, you know, I mean, it's a really scientific process actually. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when you intend for that to happen, it's wonderful. And when you don't intend for that to happen, I don't know why it's not okay to be like, that was never the intention. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It was your show shrill that I watched um, where I, understood finally how I got pregnant because obviously I, ha I had the sex um, yeah. and the, the condom broke. And so I did the thing that you're supposed to do. I went um, a couple of hours later to the pharmacy and I went and got the morning after pill and then it didn't fucking work. Right. And yeah. I didn't understand how it didn't work. And I later, seven years later, watched the show that you'd produced, Shrill, with Eddie Bryant, which is such a good TV show, by the way. Um, and uh, And she says in it that the pill doesn't work if you're over something like 175 pounds. 
I was way over 175 pounds when I got pregnant. And the pharmacist definitely knew that when he gave me the pill, but just didn't mm. tell me. I, he didn't know. No, I, I did not know that there was a potential weight limit yeah. on how impactful the fucking contraceptive pill is for someone. So I just took it thinking I was safe and then boom, I'm pregnant. That isn't, and even if I hadn't done all that, I still don't have to have a baby. But the point is, is that fucking hell, if they can't even make the system <laughs> to protect us from it, like two different man-made things, as in man, yeah. male-made inventions didn't fucking work. Why do I have to have a baby? Well, you, ne- you is- never do. Yeah, it, you know, and I, I work with the Center for Reproductive Rights. I'm the chair of their creative council very proudly. And they, you know, they really do all a lot of the legal work mm. to um, to keep not just abortion legal, but so much work on reproductive health yeah. across the board and maternal health um, and just and equality, you know, and human rights. I mean, this is the thing. It's like... The world that we're talking about, just to be clear, is is um, is the difference between women deciding when and with whom to get pregnant without to parent, when and with whom to parent without government intervention, or forced pregnancy or criminal prosecution. These are the these are the, the, the this is the line that's being drawn right when mm-hmm. we talk about these things. So there's either it either is an accessible human right or it's forced pregnancy and or criminal prosecution. I mean that's those are the sides in this. And and, and so, so it's more extreme than a lot of people realize. Like they yes. don't understand why we need to like keep our attention on this. And I think for a moment when Amy Coney Barrett was uh, brought into the Supreme Court, we was talking about it again, and then we stopped talking about it again. And we stopped talking about her or all the people who are in the Supreme Court who want to take away these abortion rights. What you don't realize is that you can have a miscarriage and potentially be prosecuted. That's right. And if they That's find exactly anything in your right. system, maybe you had a bit of, I don't know, like you smoked a tiny bit of weed and you didn't even know you were pregnant and you happen to have a miscarriage that was totally unrelated because that is unlikely to cause a miscarriage. Uh, they can say, well, this was found and traced in your blood. You did it on purpose. This was a, a home, a homemade abortion. We're going to prosecute you for this. You'll be charged. There are, many, are there are women jailed yeah, there, there are women who have what who have obstetric emergencies right so whether it's a miscarriage or some other you know their placenta falls apart like there's different kinds of obstetric emergencies that happen to women all the time in pregnancy pregnancy is not some like guaranteed mm-hmm. you know not thing it, it, it's everybody is different and the the um the things that can happen absolutely result not so much in america in this moment in time but make no mistake that's the direction it would head in south america they put women in prison who are mothers by the way parents because they have an obstetric emergency and then they end up in jail for 10 years for a quote abortion that was never an abortion, but the doc, they show up, you know, at the hospital and the doctors are so afraid of prosecution themselves that they will, they have to call the police and then the police get brought in and then, you know, and the whole because system the is. Because the doctor who would remove the fetus could then be tried, correct. but they could be then prosecuted for uh, murder. So yeah. the, there's like a, la- so the point is that there's layers of laws that make it, really hard for women to um 
who, by the way, may have wanted that. That may have been a wanted baby that they've just lost. So now they're grieving. They're in jail. They have left their families. I mean, it's makes no fucking sense. It's, it's so outrageous. Um, it's, it's so misogynist is what it is, I think. Deeply. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll never forget that interview that. I mean, obviously, we don't know her anymore. But Trump, when he said, uh, he was like, yeah, I think there should be uh, some, um, some punishment yeah. for the woman. And yeah. uh, they were like, and what about the man? Because he's also got a part to play. And he's like, no, I don't think any, uh, no, I don't think any punishment for the man. It's mm. just, extra- it was ext- It was just one of the most extraordinary things I think I've ever seen on television. I was like, wow, you're saying that in the, in the noughties on television. Like that's genuinely how you feel. That's extraordinary. And so many people, really, really fucking powerful people agree with you. So how can uh, anyone out there who's maybe just learning about what a potential serious nightmare and how, how very possible this is to happen in the United States, this could happen. This could, this could pretend this is not, it's not out of the realms of possibility. It wasn't only a matter of decades ago that we first were able to, you know, with Roe v. Wade, make it something that was accessible and safe. Yeah. I think the important thing to, how do we support, how do we support this cause? Yeah, well, for sure, you should you should support the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, it's it's at Repro Rights on all the social meds. Um, but the the other thing is, and if you follow me on social media, I post about it, you know, pretty regularly. Um, there's a lot, there are other organizations who are also doing that, but you know the the and you can also support Emily's List, which advocates for electing uh, pro-choice female candidates mm-hmm. office at every level of government. So, you know, state government all the way up through the federal government. And um, I find that just even doing that is enough. Um, it's important to remember too, that, you know, one in four women will access abortion in their life. So this isn't some rare thing. The other thing is it's made out like it's super controversial that Roe v. Wade, you know, there's so many people that want to be, it's something like 80% of Americans believe that abortion should remain accessible and legal and Mm -hmm. safe. And the other thing to remember is that, uh, uh, when you, um, when, when abortion becomes illegal, that doesn't mean abortion goes away and mm-hmm. ends. It just drives abortion underground and makes it way less safe for women to, to access. And, and also that this is um, in the time that we're in right now, when I think everybody's trying to do their anti-racism work and their, you know, their understanding about what systemic issues, um, you know, this is absolutely one of them. Because if you are, in, if you, are live in certain communities, abortion is going to, you'll be able to find one. Um, and this disproportionately access to abortion or lack thereof disproportionately affects low income women, women in marginalized communities across America in every community. And so this is also just, it's part of a larger ideas is my point. You know, it's control. It's control. Gloria Steinem talks about this all the time that it's like one of the first, like always one of the first moves of fascism is to take control of women's reproductive rights and control their bodies as if men have ownership over it. Yeah. And, you know, women have been sort of taking care of this 
since there have been women, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there was family planning, um, always, you know, you had a baby, you had to carry it. You were in a caravan. You made sure you didn't have a baby until that one could walk or somebody else could carry it. You know, the village was always a part of this. And, um, so I, I, this isn't new. The other, you know, the other thing it's, it's, there's a whole history to, um, the abortion rights movement in America. And it's very obviously politically motivated Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, doesn't actually reflect a lot of people's understanding about equality and and morality. No, but the um, the minority who believe that we should have those rights are very loud. Uh, I'm constantly loud. in their papers. There was a headline last week and they'd written, I can't believe this is legal. You know, when you're just too exhausted to sue, where they'd yeah. written, it was a picture of me. I have said in the past that the best decision I've ever made was my abortion. And then I took it back and I said, cutting bangs was the best decision I ever made. And then my <laughs> abortion. And it really did save my life. Um, and I wasn't trying to be trite or glib about it I was being very very honest and sincere it saved my life at the time in which I did it I was not mentally stable I was not ready like it was just all wrong for me my happiness was at stake uh I didn't have what would be needed to give to a child to bring them up safely and um or put my body through that and so I just shouldn't have to so I talk about it very frankly and they've the headline they used was killing my baby and then they used in inverted commas, was the best decision I've ever made, says actress Jamila Jamil. They wrote killing my baby as if I'd said that. Right. The yeah. the the violent language of that, literally violent language of that, talking about it as if it is already like the 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 way that they try to overly uh, not humanize dramatize. but like dramatize and like make yeah. it seem like it's a, a living, sentient like cherub yeah. who's there rather than just cells in the body. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's a, it's a whole thing. And I'm not just, I'm not saying it's not cells in the body. It's, it's, it, it, all I'm trying to say is that they romanticize it in order to push a birth that they have no setup for supporting you through once that baby comes out the womb. Once that baby is out the womb, there is no support system for you. If you are a single mother, if you are a teenager, if you are a victim of a crime, there's no, there's no guarantee of any fucking support anywhere. You're on your own. So let, let me be clear. If we wanted to do away with abortion, we would have forced reversible vasectomies for mm-hmm. every male when they turn 16, 17, mm-hmm. 18. So when they're ready to become a father, they can reverse it and go become a father. Um, that's how you get rid of abortion. <laughs> like there's a whole other side to think about this. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
has the experience been like being the storyteller now, being the producer of other people's stories or being the director? What has that been like for you? Because I know that I've heard you talk about the fact that you do not consider it just this big feminist statement and it's often treated just as a feminist statement, whereas actually you're just like, no, I just, I have a perspective and I would like to share it or I'm interested in helping bring other people's perspectives to light. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's just a, a part of your humanity. Well, I, the, the difference really is that when you're a woman who, you know, plenty of men have directed or created or made stories about really interesting women with agency. There are a lot of good directors that have done that. You know, Mm -hmm. David O. Russell comes to mind for some reason, but you know, I was just talking about like Jenna Rollins and these amazing roles that she played back in the day, you know, a a woman under the influence, for instance, comes to mind. So there are these, these stories exist um, and men have directed them forever the fact that women are now um, taking over the storytelling for some reason, when I tell, if I direct a story about a woman, it's somehow, it's this feminist statement because, you know, look at this woman doing this woman thing. And, you know, I don't know. And it's just sort of like, I just wanted to tell this particular story. And if a man directed it, it would just, there would be no, you wouldn't say the guy was a feminist, right? And when have you ever read that? When have you ever read that? Like, (laughs) never, you know, well, Ron Howard is directing Kate Blanchett in a Western. So he is now a feminist. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) He just told a story with a female protagonist. So that's the, that's, that's really what I'm talking about. It's a very interesting dynamic and, and a line to walk because, well, of course I am a feminist. And of course I do connect to this story as a director. And of course I love this character that got created by this actress, but um, I'm not sure I meant, I'm not sure I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be political. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, it is political in its, in its essence because they don't, so few women do it, um, which is a systemic thing. And that's a whole other conversation, but just, it's interesting that, that the perception is that it, when you take on some, uh, typically male role, like directing a movie and you put women in it and you have women behind the scenes writing scripts or, you know, being, you know, your costume designer and your DP and your department heads that somehow it's some, you know, giant political, it's presented as a much more political statement than really we're just, we're just trying to, I don't know. It feels, it feels a bit like underhanded tokenism sometimes, you know, where, where you get treated, like if you tell a minority's big story, you tell a big story about someone with a disability, it's the, the focus on it is the social politics of it rather than, no, this person has an interesting story and we just don't hear many of these stories because we don't make just nuanced and interesting, complex stories about these types of people. Um, and so I, I sometimes worry that when when they treat every single thing that we do as a feminist political statement, rather than an interesting story that was supposed to be told, it's a bit like, oh, that's why you wanted to tell that story because it, it's tr- it's yeah. trendy or it's it's you know, I it's do want to say I think I think it's also related to the fact that I'm a an activist for women a little more openly than other women because I think there are women who make films with female protagonists and don't get this 
I don't know, don't end up in the press. It's just like, she's made some feminist statement or something. Yeah. And you said that you don't um, often get asked technical questions, which I thought was really interesting, that men will be asked yeah. about what lenses they're using or their cinematography style or what they're, how they're progressing as filmmakers. And you don't actually get asked a lot about that sort of stuff. What do you get asked about? I don't get asked a lot. I mean, one of my favorite horrible questions was I had an interviewer say to me, um, so, oh my gosh, you're a mom and you directed this movie and, uh, you, ha- you know, it's so much work and you're, and you acted on this television show at the same time. Like, I mean, don't you just want to like take a bath? And <laughs> I don't know. I thought at the time I was like, do I want to take a bath? Like what? And, and I kind of realized that the interviewer probably needed a bath. Do you know what I mean? Like she was bringing her anxiety over my busy life and imagining it and thinking to herself, like I would just, you know, I take comfort in long baths and I kind of was like, yeah, I don't, that's like me. I don't take comfort in long baths. I like my working life and being busy and I take showers like, you know, just like anybody, but more to the point, I was like, I could not imagine asking a male director if they needed a long bath. I just thought, has that question ever been posed to a, to a guy to a leader, to a male leader. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine if, I'm just thinking about it now, can you imagine if a woman had directed The Revenant? You know that film that they shot in like yeah. Arctic temperatures for nine months and Leonardo DiCaprio gets sort of, yeah, I mean- at least, Ravaged by a bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get shocked yeah. by a bear. But um, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I wonder what they would have asked a woman to be like, do you need a hot water bottle? Like they never asked him, <laughs> the, the director who was out there in sub-zero temperatures directing all these actors who were all like falling ill with pneumonia they never really asked him much about his comfort or if he needed a long bath and I bet he fucking did I oh, would yeah. if I directed that bloody movie <laughs> but oh, no I'd you're right there long was, baths all the time be in the hot tub every night there was no um, you're right there was no sort of like are you okay it was more like well done it was a lot of well done yeah. like wow you survived and you and you got this you know authenticity and da 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 yeah and it wasn't about like how did you you know did you wear a down coat every day like you know what I, mean? I don't know <laughs> what brand of down coat <laughs> how did Canada you make it to your lipstick elizabeth i know how do you remain how do you remain fa- fashionable on the set of the revenant <laughs> um although yeah, interestingly no. i saw you talk about the fact that you uh, you you wear dresses deliberately on set sometimes yes. Uh, yes. in order to make sure that you I guess because you're trying to make sure that the the insinuation when you are taking a pre- a predominantly male uh, role in in that in that you are the director you are the leader and and more often than not we've seen men take on that role because of this systemic uh, issue but you don't want to try to emulate a man in the way that you dress or behave because you think that it's very empowering and important for people to see that you can do it in a dress. You can do it as a woman in however your femininity plays out. Like it doesn't hinder or help the situation. It makes no difference. What is that? What, what, when did you start doing that? So a couple things. One, I really think it's interesting to, um, to just represent a person of power on the set as being someone who can wear a dress. Mm-hmm. So, right. And, and, um, and pink, 
and you know a headband and you know whatever else I feel like wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the cone you know, bra. Well, I, you know, I th- look. There's there's a there there is a not every director wears sort of like the uniform, but I mean, there's, you know, you're on, you're, you're standing up and walking around for 12 hours a day. So like, I'm not wearing high heels, particularly on sets, but I, but I, my comfort in a, you know, in a dress is high. I have a high comfort level in a dress. <laughs> so to me, that is also comfort in the way that you need in that job. Um, but I also I'll be totally honest. I had a camera, two women in my camera department, one of, and the camera loader who's in the department came up to me on uh, a project once and said, and they, they were in like, you know, their sort of the uniform for the camera department, just so everyone is clear is typically some sort of cargo, cargo pants, pants short, black t-shirt. And a black t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jamila knows cause she's been on sets. It's yeah, yeah. pretty, it's pretty Crocs. standard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and by the way, there's specific reasons for this. You need a lot of pockets in that job. You carry a lot of, uh, of tools mm-hmm. with you at all times. And the black is because you don't want to reflect in camera and you want to sort of disappear and black is the best color for that. So that is, the, so I'm, there are reasons why people yeah. dress this way on set, but these women came up to me and said, we love seeing you in a dress. They basically were like, it, it really, we just love that you show up and you're wearing a dress. Like you're, you don't have to do what we're doing right now, which is dress like all the guys. And I was just so happy to have heard that from them and that I was offering them another idea about what the leader of the set looks like. Yeah. And that it was empowering to them to like, see it. So I just stuck with it. And I, you know, and, 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 and I know you're not trying to make some huge political statement in doing so, but I do no. think that there is a really important statement made about not trying to project the construct of what masculinity is and masculinity therefore being the construct of what power and authority is. There are yes. kind of like just unthought of layers. And I, uh, I, I just, I love the, uh, I love the idea of the impact that that has, because I think when I look back on, and I've been very lucky to work with a lot of women directors, um, but there's definitely, uh, and that, that may just be their choice, but there's definitely a, a presence that feels not just in aesthetic, but in sort of demeanor, uh, and delivery that feels different to when you then see them offset and it feels more similar to the male directors than I would necessarily expect. Uh, but I'm, I don't mean that as a way of judgment. It's just something I noticed and I realized I've never seen a director in a dress. It's <laughs> rare. It is. It's rare. <laughs> yeah. You don't see, it is a rare thing. Where do you continue to grow from? Like, are you just trying stuff out on set and trying new styles and trying new aesthetics? Are you going back and studying your old favorite films? Did you ever study under anyone or did you just, just jump straight in? I just wonder that because I, I only, I only ask that because so many men I know have had the luxury of being given that opportunity to, to learn right under someone else, regardless of that person's gender. I mean, I took every set as an opportunity to learn. So when I was coming up, um, you know, I went to what's called video village on sets and I, you know, this, all this language that we're using is things that you and I understand. And I think it's always hard for listeners to get it, but 
the video village is where the director and typically the producer and the DP kind of gather while the scene is playing out. And if I wasn't in that scene, I always tried to be near them and sit in the video village and, and watch how things were playing out and, um, and ask questions. Uh, and I very, gratefully I worked with really interesting awesome directors really early on like I worked with Steven Spielberg on Catch Me If You Can and I worked with Sam Raimi on Spider-Man movies and I remember being on the set of Spider-Man and it was the DP on that film was Bill Pope who shot Charlie's Angels with me and he is how we met and uh he and Sam Raimi were planning a shot uh, of J. Jonah Jameson. Um, I played Betty Brant and the three Spider-Mans that star Tobey Maguire. Anyway, so I was on set and I was watching them plan out this shot. And in my mind, I was like, well, if I were doing this shot, I would start the camera here and I would put it on the dolly and I would back out and I would, you know, bring in more of the world and I would have people cross, da, da, da. And that was all in my brain. But then that's what they set up. They set up the shot that I thought would be the best way to tell that moment of that story. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, Huh. Okay, cool. Like, I mean, you know, I maybe it. I know, yeah. maybe I know something, you know, what I mean? maybe I'm learning something here. And, um, you know, and I, by the way, I had studied, I had directed plays and, you know, I studied theater and I have a master's of fine arts in, mm-hmm. you know, in acting. And so I worked on every level of kind of storytelling and studied the classics, you know, the Greeks and Shakespeare and Chekhov and Ibsen. And, you know, so I have a, I have a, um, I bring some of that skill set with me to my career anyway. And then being on sets, you just, you just learn, you know, you just sit there and just go, okay, wow, that's how they're doing this. That's how this is going to happen. And the other thing that I just love to say to people always is you don't know how you don't need to know how to do everything to direct a movie. It's a collaboration. There's people that know about lighting. I don't know everything about lighting or you know, uh, uh, stops on the camera. Like, like, I'm not a camera operator. That's their job. There's a, there's a, a, I think a a barrier that people think you have to, you know, you, you can't get through because you don't know the technical side of it. Don't wait, learn that on the job. You can learn that as you go. And if you work with the right partners in your department heads, so, you know, I don't design, I don't sew costumes, how do I know? So it's why you bring people into the process with you. And when you find people that when you have a vision for what you want and can communicate it, that's the most important thing to directing. It's not, uh, you know, do you know what the stop is on this lighting setup? You know, you don't need to know all the technical stuff, the grips and the dollies and the, they, they, they're there to support a vision. Having the vision is the most important thing. A hundred percent. And it's so important, I think, for women in particular to hear that, because I think that there's like statistical evidence of the fact that we don't put ourselves up for jobs that we don't feel a million percent qualified for. And yet statistically, men are much more likely to throw their hat in the ring for a job that they have absolutely no qualification for, just in the hopes of like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to back myself, I'll figure it out. I'll fake it till I make it. And I feel as though we are more held back by uh, the imposter syndrome. And I talk about this a fair bit on this podcast, but I have never 
No, and don't be like me because I'm basically catch me if you can. Uh, but I've never known how to do any of the things <laughs> that I've gone on to do any of them. Uh, well, and I'm figuring it out and I'm not always fucking perfect, but I've learned and I've grown and I've had, yeah. and, and when it's a fucking disaster, it's hilarious later, later, much later sometimes. I, I do want to say the imposter syndrome, that's totally real. The fake it till you make it totally real. The statistics that you're mentioning, totally real. Um, women have to be typically need to be asked to like run for office, you know, like they don't just like walk in and go like, you know what? I deserve to be on the school board. You know, they, they need to be like, you know, talked into it and same with directing and think, you know, any of these sort of big leadership jobs, often women need to be asked, right. They don't put themselves up for the promotion. They hope somebody promotes them. Um, but I will say that I also, there, the other side of that is that the stakes for women are higher. The consequences of not getting it right are higher Mm -hmm. for women. I think there is a a real fear that is rooted in our culture that if you do a bad job, that's it. That's your chance. And you blew it. And so I want to recognize that for women too, like that, that that those stakes feel really high and I get it. I, I, I felt it too. I feel it. And I understand that it is an, it is a impediment to, asking for more responsibility, more money, more resources to do things. Because when we mess up, you know, they don't, they, they don't let it go. You know, it's not some like, they they don't. But then at the same time, you and I have both had hits and misses in our careers and carried on and the world didn't actually stop turning. And I think that's also really important. So yes, it is real that we will be shamed maybe a bit more for it. We will be judged harsher for it. And the, the standards are higher for us to meet at the very, very start. We give men more of an opportunity to learn, to be apprentices, to kind of, you know, uh, work their way up slowly. And then we kind of sometimes panic realize oh no uh, we've not represented this minority or or women and so we're just going to throw one in quickly like way in the deep end and if she doesn't swim if she sinks at all then that was confirmation that we shouldn't have ever had a woman in that role or a person with disability in that role or a marginalized person of any kind they they use it as a kind of confirmation bias and so what's so important is that you recognize that system recognize the intention of that system which is to make us believe that there's a good reason that we have all been excluded all this time That's right. to chip away at our fucking yes. self-confidence and realize that actually the best thing you can do is stick around stick mm-hmm. around carry on learn keep from going. it grow from it like just yeah. just keep pushing you are still directing you are still acting you have not had to win an academy award for every single thing you've done you continue to grow you continue to thrive and you continue to excite uh, all of us who are following your career with the decisions that you make and and it's really fun to watch you grow as a producer and as a director and and feel like we're all on that journey with you and and you know if anyone has any doubts about what I'm saying go back and watch the pilot of The Good Place and see what a pile of shit I am I have no idea what I'm doing I'm having a panic attack the whole time I'm looking I couldn't even look Kristen Bell in the eyes for seven episodes for the first seven episodes there were only 13 in the first season and I couldn't <laughs> look her in the eye I would try to deliver all of my lines to uh 
to William Jackson Harper that all were directed at Kristen Bell. I would have to say them to William Jackson Harper and quickly dart my eyes back at her because I felt so ashamed of being there because I had no idea of what I was doing. So go back and watch it. You can literally watch me grow and figure this shit out in real time. Yeah. But you know what? Someone thought you belonged there and that you were right and they were right. Yeah. And they gave you the opportunity and then you exactly what you're saying. And then you grew, you grew into that because someone else had the confidence that like, this is the right person for this job. And, yeah. and I, I, by the way, I'm grateful for everybody that's ever said, yeah, I, Liz Banks, let's let her do, it. let's let her try it. I think she can do it. Yeah. That's, it is important. You do need those, you do need those moments in your life, you know? Yeah. And I mean, lucky for you, the first time, I believe the first time you directed was Pitch Perfect 2. And the message for all young women out there is just keep going, keep going, try anyway, as you said. So Elizabeth Banks, before I lose you, will you tell me what do you weigh? Ooh, I weigh being a great mom, being a good daughter, being, um, an artist and I weigh my confidence that has grown over time. Um, and I weigh my, uh, and my, I, I weigh my optimism about the future. Love that. And love <laughs> you and see you soon. If we find each other around the world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh a business owner, a rape and PTSD survivor, succeeding as a female wildlife camera operator, children's liver disease survivor, a good listener, lonely, sister, a depressive, a National Geographic explorer, an activist, being 10 years into being probably James Blake's biggest fan, uh, I'm hypermobile. I have a phone phobia, so this is very difficult. And uh, my charity fundraiser. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.